We are recording. <clears throat> Hello, everyone. Today we have Nick Groman and Jen Daly back on the podcast today. Um, both of them have been on the podcast before, so you've heard from both of them, and I'm so excited to have them back. We're going to be talking about some 401k things. I won't give everything away right now, um, but just know we're going to be talking about some things you need to know about saving for retirement. So, hi, Nick. Hi, Jen. How's it going? Hey, Libby. Thanks for hi, having Libby. us back. Happy yeah, New happy Year. 20... Happy New yeah. Year. <laughs> <laughs> happy 2021. I feel like I've been saying that too much. You know, it's like the first week <laughs> of the new year, and that's what the only thing everyone says when they start a conversation <laughs> with you. <laughs> And then you realize you've already spoken to that person four times and wish them happy new year. Yes. So, right. <laughs> when is the time to move yes, on? True. <laughs> so how has your 2021 been so far? So far so good. I, I made the brave decision of not making a resolution this year. So I'm, I'm feeling fabulous. I haven't failed at anything yet. So it's a good start. <laughs> oh, so Me too, I, Jen. So we did make a New Year's resolution, my wife and I did, to start to get back in shape a little bit. So we have joined the Peloton clan. So nice. we got one on Sunday, and I can tell you I can't feel the bottom half of my body currently. <laughs> so it's, uh, so they, they say that those machines become addicting, and it's it's true. They There is a motivation factor behind it. I don't know what it is, but they've tapped into some type of secret psychological sauce to uh, get you on it every day. So we're going Nick, strong. I'm not, sure if, I'm not sure if that intrigues me or terrifies me. A little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> so, but otherwise, I always think, yeah. I always think like when people tell me that they have a Peloton, you're so fancy. Oh, we, we, are not, we are not fancy. So my, my wife and I have three boys under the age of five. So if you can picture somebody on a Peloton and then three kids circling it, running around, <laughs> that's what it looks like. It's complete chaos. So, oh, that's great. Uh, so no, but other than not being able to feel the bottom half of my body, 2021's been pretty good so far. Good. You're not alone. We just got Apple Fitness. Plus, I think is what it's called. Okay. And I did a couple workouts. I have been working out. I took some time off for the holidays. And so I did a workout with my fiance and I was kind of making fun of him because he was struggling through both of the workouts that we did. And I felt like I was breathing through them. Um, but then the next day I was so <laughs> sore. And he, then he obviously made fun of me because I made fun of him. But um, <laughs> I'm in the same boat. I'm getting over being sore. I'm regretting taking time off for the holidays. But sometimes you got to recharge. Right. Agreed. Right. Agreed. Did you guys do anything fun to celebrate the new year? We put new flooring in our kitchen. So you did get, get to a certain age where that really seems like fun. I mean, it was exciting. And I didn't work out much over the holidays because I was doing manual labor. So, um, but it felt great. It looks great and it feels great. So that's a, a nice what kind start of floor? to the year. 
Yeah, what, what type of floors it's do you do? It's a manufactured, it's a manufactured, I think it's actually vinyl, um, looks okay. like wood, but a manufactured floor. You know, we have two teenage nice. boys, so durability is always a, a good thing. So, so Jeff, yeah. I've got a basement and I'm in desperate need of a local friendly contractor such as you and <laughs> <laughs> You could uh, me make and my husband. <laughs> yeah, you and your husband can make a run to Mason uh, this there weekend. But we, Absolutely, we, we pay... I, maybe yeah, maybe that will be my second line of work. You never <laughs> know. We might, we might start subbing out on the weekends. Exactly, exactly. Well, that's good. Um, yeah, as far as for New Year's and that whole holiday break, uh, I think we went to bed at nine o'clock every single night. So absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing exciting. <laughs> you, did you stay up until midnight on New Year's Eve? Oh, not a chance. <laughs> Even I was, if I was, yeah, go ahead, Jen. I was going to say, I was out of bed, but I was asleep on the couch. So, you know, okay. you tried. Maybe good effort takes it out of you. <laughs> I needed my rest. Yeah. It, did it, did you funny. do something exciting yep. to make up for our boring lives? <laughs> um, nothing too exciting. I mean, it is still COVID times, but my friends got engaged that night. And so we kind of helped oh, wow. him plan the engagement and we went to dinner and then just went to back, went back to my house to celebrate. So that was exciting. Nice. That's exciting. Nice. Yeah. New beginning. Yes. Yeah, so you, yeah. So you guys are the photographer. Do you do like signs or give, give us some more details of this? <laughs> we just went down to like Smale River Front Park. Yeah. Um, downtown. And I somehow I am never the friend who suggests taking a picture. So I thought she was totally gonna catch on. Um mm -hmm. but I was like, let's take a picture in front of the bridge. And so they took our picture and then I was like, Okay, you guys have to get one now. And <laughs> that's uh, when he did it. So it wasn't anything it. too crazy, but um Yes, we were the videographer and photographer for them. Nice. That's nice. awesome. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was so exciting. I'm so tired of talking about my own wedding. Um, so <laughs> I'm excited that someone else is getting married. Someone else is. There you go. I love yeah. it. Well, let's go ahead and jump in. Do you want to, where, like, where do we want to start? We're talking about saving for retirement and kind of mm -hmm. things that you need to know. Sure. Well, I can jump in here. I think I, part of my job here working with retirement plan sponsors is helping to educate participants on retirement plans and what do you need to know to, to be saving well, to be investing well, and to reach your goals for retirement. And I noticed that when I do group presentations, of course, Almost for a year now, I've been doing a lot of webinars, webinar format. And when I meet with people one on one, I get one thing that gets asked to me over and over, and I probably spend the most time explaining, and that is Roth. People, the Roth concept, they may have heard that term, but I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions about it and just a lot of misunderstanding or, or just not knowing what that means. So Nick and I thought it would be a great topic to start the year with. Um, to find out, to explain to people what does Roth mean within your employer-sponsored plan. There's also Roth outside of your employer-sponsored plan in the format of an IRA. 
so what do you need to know about those two things? Does that make sense for you? Um, does it, does, is it gonna help you get towards your retirement goals? And then we're gonna end up by just talking about a few different basic financial concepts and things you might wanna think about as far as investing and especially getting toward retirement. Does that, does that sound like everything, Nick? Like, was that a good summary? Yeah, it's a pretty good summary. Um, and to your point, Jen, I mean, this is one of the big pieces and foundations for saving for retirement. And it's a question that gets brought up multiple times by clients, just what route do I go? What strategies should I consider? Um, and honestly, one of the biggest misconceptions, just there's thoughts of I don't qualify for raw money or I can't do those contributions. So I think even just getting a good foundation understanding or good foundational understanding of the differences between Roth and pre-tax and some of the advantages or disadvantages really helps um, clients make those decisions and helps us put a plan in place. Good, okay. Well, let's jump in. So the first thing I wanna talk about is Roth and your employer-sponsored plan. So I'm gonna call those 401ks for simplicity's sake. Your employer might also have a 403B, which might operate very similarly to a 401k. So I don't mean to eliminate that, I'm just gonna call it one thing just to, to keep the language simpler. So within that 401k plan, your plan may offer Roth as a deferral option. It may not, not all plans, it's not required. So if you're not sure if your plan offers it, check with your benefits manager or check with your record keeper and see if that's available. But if your plan does offer it, you'll have a choice between pre-tax and Roth deferral. So pre-tax sometimes is also called traditional deferral. If you've been around for a while like I have, that's how we used to really think about contributing to a 401k, that you get a pre-tax benefit. So you defer the taxes on that deferral into your plan and the earnings on it until you retire. And when you take that distribution on retirement or as you're retired and you take periodic distributions, you'll pay taxes based on your tax rate at that time. When Roth came into being, which has now been several years ago, it gave you a choice. And that choice is to pay your taxes now on that deferral. Down the road, when you retire, the money that's in that Roth source or bucket of money within your account, if it's a qualified withdrawal, you can take it out. It won't be subject to income tax. So that will also include the earnings on that money. So then the question kind of becomes, how do I figure out what makes sense for me? So a couple of things I want you to know about pre-tax versus Roth, just a kind of a few housekeeping things. Earnings on your Roth contribution can be subject to tax and early withdrawal penalties if they're not in the account for at least five years. So that's sort of a technicality. I just wanna make sure you know. When you're talking about retirement money and we talk about these tax advantages and whether there's a penalty on it or you pay taxes on it, Ideally, you're gonna put money away for retirement and you don't have to worry about anything to do with taxes until you retire. And if you leave it in there until retirement, you don't have to worry about a penalty either. If for some reason you do access your retirement money, your 401k money before you retire, you could be subject to taxes and penalties. So just make sure you know if you're gonna be touching that money, what you're in for. Make sure you understand the tax implications. But best advice is to just leave that money in there until retirement, okay? So that's sort of a sidebar. Um, the other thing I want you to understand is if you choose to put money in, if, let's say you've already been contributing to your plan on a pre-tax basis, and then you decide to add some Roth money to the mix. You decide to put in on a Roth basis. 
when you look at your account, so when you go into that Record Keeper website or the app or you get a statement, it'll be clearly indicated which money is which. It's gonna be two different sources or buckets, like I mentioned. So you're gonna pull up your account and you're gonna see, here's pre-tax money and here's the money that's in your account that's Roth money. So clearly separated within your account. And another question I get that pertains to that is if you go through this, if you listen through this today and you think to yourself, wow, Roth seems like a great option for me. I love the idea of getting the taxes paid, not worrying about them down the road, but I've already put in a lot of money pre-tax. Is there anything I can do with that money? It's pre-tax, but I really wish it was Roth. I wish I had done that. Some plans allow you to take that pre-tax money and convert it to Roth money. So I would call that almost like Roth 201. That's a little more of an advanced choice that you would make. Um, I wanna clarify though, because people do ask the question. You'd have to find out if your plan allows it. And then if you were contemplating any kind of moves like a conversion, you'd wanna make sure you talk to a tax person and understand all the implications of that before you did that. So that's a little bit of housekeeping um, for you about how these work. So now the question is, okay, I know my plan allows pre-tax, I know it allows Roth, how do I figure out for me personally if this makes sense? So this is where Nick is gonna jump in and give us some ideas of how we would look at that and how do you frame it for your own self and figure out what works for you. Right. Can I ask a question first before we jump into sure. that? Yes. If you decide to switch the money that you've put in as pre-tax to Roth, are you then mm -hmm. paying like a lump sum of the taxes you would have been paying over time? You are. And that's okay. why I said it's sort of a more advanced thing to do because it could be a pretty hefty tax bill depending on what you have in there. Right. So I would say it's a limited thing. Not a lot of people do it and not a lot of plans offer it, but I do get asked the question. So I thought I might just make it clear that that could be a possibility, but you just wanna be careful with it. If it's available, make sure you know what that tax bill is gonna be. Right. Okay. And to add to that, the, oh, sorry, go ahead. Let me cut you off. No, go ahead. I say to add on that tax bill, the thing to think about is, let's say somebody wants to do a conversion, that amount that you're converting gets added to your other income sources for the year. So let's say you make $50,000 and you do a $20,000 conversion, they're going to look at your income in aggregate of being 70000 for that calendar year, and you're paying federal and state taxes on that entire portion. So when, if, there's, if somebody is looking at doing conversions to Jen's point, you wanna have a strategy behind it. Typically we'll see conversions occur when somebody's in a lower tax year, let's say they retired halfway through the year and wanna take advantage of a conversion in the year that their income's less, um, or if something drastically has changed in their uh, income level or they have a big tax deduction, that's where it might make sense and where you always wanna leverage a tax professional before making that decision along with a financial planner and other advisors. Um, but that's a, a way of thinking of it. Just uh, not just the thought of, oh, it's, I'm gonna be paying taxes on just this portion of money that I'm converting. It, it, you are, but you're also having to basically stack it on top of your other income for the year. And that's where you can really run into issues of jumping into different brackets. And are the taxes that you would pay based on your income at the time also? For that, for okay. that year, correct, correct. Okay. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> so, 
I see some wheels turning for, for Livy right now. I think there's a conversion. <laughs> no, my 401k is actually all Roth right now. So I don't, I wouldn't have to do that. <laughs> no conversion necessary. <laughs> right. So that's a good kind of segue though, just kind of the thought process as far as Roth versus pre-tax in my retirement plan, which one should I utilize? And to Jen's point, the old theory with pre-tax and kind of the more traditional approach was I'm going to defer my income now. It's going to grow tax deferred for 20 or 30 years while I'm working. And then when I retire, I'll withdraw and pay taxes at that time. The old thought was that your working income is going to be higher than what your retirement income will be. So theoretically, when you get to retirement, you're in a lower tax bracket, so basically you get a tax deduction up front, and then you're paying less taxes in retirement. Well, as time goes on, people live longer, people save more, people save longer, that actually can backfire. I've seen it before where clients have saved really well and their retirement tax bracket is higher than their working tax bracket. So there's a lot of different pieces of that that can come into play that can really yeah, affect so Yeah, go, go ahead is really triggering a lot of questions for me. So <laughs> how is your income, when you are retired, how is your income defined? If you're not getting, is it by like how much you're taking out of your retirement account and how much like you're getting social security or however that all works together? Yep, so you're looking at an aggregation of your withdrawals from your retirement accounts that are taxable. You've got social security that's taxable. Um, if you have other investment accounts, you've got capital gains and dividends that are also coming into play. So there's still a lot, of, there's a, a litany of factors that come into play for generating retirement okay. income. But the, the thing that really trips people up with this is, let's say they've deferred all this money for a long period of time, and you've got company match and profit sharing and everything else that's coming into play. When you get to the age of 72, you have required minimum distribution which we'll talk about more in a second, how that impacts pre-tax and Roth. But required minimum distributions are an IRS guideline. You have to take out a certain percentage of your 401k each year. Initially, when you're first starting out, it's roughly around 4%. But if you have, let's say you've put away a million dollars over the course of your life and it's all taxable, 4% is $40,000. You add that on top of Social Security, I mean, you might be replicating the same income you've had for the entirety of your work career. So it's basically you've deferred just to pay the exact same taxes when you get to retirement. Yeah. So you're assuming tax tables or nothing changes, which is a whole other element to this. So and that's, again, the other thing to think about is if you're married or you're single, if your spouse is also saving, they also have required distributions, that can even bump you up even higher. So that, that's a, a big I don't think misconception, but something that can trip people up um, when they're looking at this. Risk so you're, when you're retired and you're married, your income is seen as a joint income with your spouse? Traditionally, you can file separately, which typically is the most advantageous if you're married filing separate. Um, but I would say majority okay. of individuals that are married are filing jointly. Okay, this is, I'm not, obviously not married yet, so <laughs> um, when I'm married, my income and my then, my soon-to-be husband's income, if we file together, will be seen as one. 
depending on how you file. I would say more than likely, yes, if you file okay. separately, it's <laughs> not the most advantageous. There's some, some caveats that can make it work really well. So it depends on your personal situation, of course, but more okay. than likely filing jointly and your income will be counted yeah. together. Okay, I guess I knew that. I just didn't put two and two together that like when you file your taxes jointly, that means your income is counted right. as one, basically. Um, right. I Sorry, I do have some more questions. When you retire, mm -hmm. how do you know, like, is it just like a direct deposit from like your 401k into your bank account? And do you set up a certain amount or how does that work? So you, you can do that, um, and it depends on your situation. So I'd say, let's say hypothetically you retire and you've got a 401k account or you have an IRA, and we don't have to go into the differences between the two today, but um, what you'll want to do is set up, uh, well, depending on your situation and other sources, what you can do is set up an automatic distribution. But the automatic distribution works like direct deposit, but there's a little more of a science behind it. So what you don't want to do is just set up your portfolio in a 401k and then just take out withdrawals just as an arbitrary amount and say, pull it from whatever investments I have. That's one of the key things that can sink a retirement plan. Because when you get to retirement, you're theoretically assuming you're working with somebody, if you're doing your own research, you have a diversified portfolio of stocks, bonds, and cash investments. So when you get to retirement, that cash bucket and bond bucket are kind of basically like your suspension on your car, where if the market tanks, they might go up a little bit, or they might stay flat. And if the market goes up, they're going to still stay relatively flat, maybe go up a little bit. And you'll have your stock investments, which give you more of the growth piece. When you get to retirement, and you're setting up these systematic withdrawals or you're having these automatic withdrawals come out, you wanna make sure that you're pulling from the appropriate bucket of money. So to give you the example, let's say we have an, I hate talking about COVID, but let's say we have another COVID event when you get to retirement and we're down 20 or 30% in the overall market. When you're taking out these withdrawals consistently, you do not wanna pull from that stock bucket of money. The reason for that being is that that stock bucket is a little more volatile. So you might see a bigger dip in those monies. So what happens if you withdraw from your stock investment, instead of using a mantra of buying low and selling high, you're actually doing the exact opposite. You are selling those investments at a loss to generate income. And that really puts an anchor on your portfolio. It's very hard to recover. So when you see those dips, you'll pull from your bonds, you'll pull from your cash investments, so that way you're not locking in losses. And then vice versa, market takes off, you pull from your stock investments, and you're basically taking gains off the table. So to answer your point, that's a really okay. long answer, Libby, but uh, <laughs> you can do it monthly, but you need to make sure you have a strategy behind it. One of the big mistakes I see with people is that they'll just set up an automatic withdrawal with their 401k plan or their IRA, and depending on the plan or depending upon the institution that it's at, they may have a default rule to pull that money out pro rata out of all of your different investments. So that can really hurt. But if you're pure stock or if you haven't rebalanced, it can really be detrimental to your portfolio for the longevity of your retirement. 
Okay. And this is why when you're getting to retirement, you want to work with a certified financial planner. <laughs> Right, How do you even know? Like, um, my fiance has been joking lately because he's been kind of playing around in the stock market a little bit. And um, I think he's just tired of working like everyone else in the world. So he keeps joking like, once I reach a certain amount, hey, we're in, in the my same <laughs> Yeah, uh, but he keeps saying to me, he said it over and over again. Once I reach a certain amount in my in my account, I don't care how old I am, I'm just going to retire. And I've said to him, like, okay, probably should talk <laughs> to an advisor before you choose to do that. But how do you know when it's time? Like, how do you know? Okay, now it's time for me to start talking to someone to understand when I can actually retire. So uh, I'll tell you the secret to this question. It's immediately right when you start working is I can tell you okay. you're 22 and 23 and you're just starting out and with work or your job or your career majority of the time you don't understand the 401k piece typically you've got other competing priorities right student loans mortgage emergency right. savings multiple things across the board and that's a lot to handle I mean I remember when I was 22 and 23 fresh out of it was, oh, a 401k plan? Why do I need this? <laughs> I, got, I got things to pay for. And when you're working with a financial planner, part of their duty is to make sure that you have basically the foundation set to understand the impact of each different savings goal and strategy and debt and have a, basically a plan in place. And the other key piece of that is that in your early years, when you first start working, those are really beneficial high growth opportunity years in the sense of it adds to the longevity for your money to compound. So let's say you don't really do anything saving wise and let's say you just focus solely on paying off debt, which isn't a bad thing, but let's just say it's solely I've focused on paying off student loans and buying my first house and doing XYZ, but I have been away for retirement and you're now 30, well, you're seven years too late that's seven years of compounding that you're never going to get. So even yeah. if you're getting a little bit, it helps because the power of compounding will really accelerate for you. So the thing to always kind of keep in mind is in the beginning, it doesn't really seem like you're really gaining or saving that much. Like if you're, if you have a, let's say a $500 account and you're only getting a 10% return, I mean, it's what 50 bucks, it's not anything too crazy. But when you get to those upper thresholds for compounding, let's say you get to half a million and you're in your 40s or your 50s and you get a 10% return, it's $50,000. It's more tangible and you see more of an acceleration effect uh, with that. So to answer that question, I would say immediately. Again, if a financial planner doesn't want to talk to you for setting, walking through everything as far as how, how to organize things and have a strategy in place, then that's not the right planner for you. That, that's a, a way of looking at it. If you're going to a planner and all they care about is where you're at, or if they only want to talk to you once you've hit a certain asset level or you've hit a certain yeah. milestone, then that's not the right planner for you. That, that's not them working at fiduciary capacity. So, they, so yeah, another long-winded uh, dissertation <laughs> response there, but I would say immediately, 
because even in the beginning, it's just being able to sort through the different factors for what you need to focus on, making sure that you're covering all your gaps. Um, again, even when you're younger, I mean, we see young professionals all the time that are starting a family and there's no estate plan. I mean, that's a big piece of wealth planning or insurance. I mean, there's a lot of things that are outside of just saving for retirement to make sure everyone's covered. So, yeah. Uh, I'll and to be clear, <laughs> we have financial planners at Haran. Yep. So if you're looking for someone, I can't not say to look to Haran to find someone to help you. Yep. And they, the most important thing when you're looking for a financial planner too is to make sure they're a fiduciary, make sure they're a certified financial planner, just like Nick said, so that they're working on your behalf. So all the information they're giving you is what's best for you in your own situation. So that's always a good well, question you want to ask. What's the alternative? So it, it let's so I'll, this is another. I know we're kind of digressing a little bit, but this is another <laughs> kind of uh, I'll say an issue with um, with our industry a little bit. Anyone can really call themselves a financial advisor. There's not like a certain degree you have to have. There's not certain milestones you have to hit. Anyone can call themselves a financial advisor. Um, and if you're working at a firm that isn't like an investment advisory firm where you don't have, if you're not a certified financial planner, you basically work on more of a suitability standard. And I know they now have best interest standards, which was introduced recently as well, um, which is a way of trying to push people that are not CFPs to doing what's always in the best interest of the client but still not to the degree of being a fiduciary. So to Jen's point, a fiduciary, which a CFP is automatically a fiduciary. If you're working for an investment advisory firm, you're also automatically a fiduciary. Um, fiduciaries have to look out for the best interests of their clients. And they always put their client's interests first ahead of what uh, their own interests or, um, or commissions or anything like that. Where previously okay. it was a suitability standard or best interest is pretty close to fiduciary now. There's still kind of a gap. But for suitability, it would be, oh, this has to make sense for the client, but still may not be their, the best thing for them. You see, it's kind of more of a grayer standard as far as recommendations and advice. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> All right. I mean, don't, like, don't slap me on the hand or anything. But I have met with financial, like financial advisors. I don't know if they were fiduciaries yep. or not outside mm -hmm. of Moran. And they did yep. kind of, I feel like, push me off because I'm young and yep. I don't have yeah. a lot of money. I mean, I just am still working to build all of that up and building my career. And so that's good advice just to make sure that. Someone is there to make sure that you have the tools in your toolbox to successfully save for retirement. Right. Yep. Ultimately, that's everyone's ultimate goal who's in the workforce. Right. Yep. All right. Agreed. I agree. So, okay, so, so let's uh, yeah. talk about <laughs> like 401k versus IRA. 
and we can um, quickly talk about this. We have done a podcast on this before. So if anyone wants to go back and listen and get kind of a framework, um, there is another podcast on this. And so we can, that podcast goes in a lot of detail, but let's do like a refresh today. Okay. So, I mean, so are we looking at, so just difference between 401k and IRA, or are we still thinking more of just the deferral strategy for pre-tax versus Roth? Because both of those come into play um, on those entities. Or I can just do both. Like I can do, we can do a kind of a quick refresh on everything. Um, yeah, sorry. I kind of derailed this conversation with all of my questions. They're <laughs> um, <laughs> good questions, Libby. Yeah, no, they, um, they are good. And then there are questions that people, I mean, a lot of those questions, like you mentioned, don't get asked very often. People kind of just, well, yeah, go, go ahead. Let's, yeah. talk, let's talk about deferrals through each of them. I mean, is it a long, I just want to make sure I do have a hard, I have a hard stop at 11 and um, okay. we are at 30 minutes. Okay, so, so let's, uh, I'll really quick then just kind of talk about pre-tax and Roth, kind of the strategy between the two really quick. Um, so okay. I mentioned before a little bit pre-tax, a little mindset of defer now, and when you get to retirement, you then pay taxes. Thought is your retirement tax rate is less than your working tax rate. Roth is the exact opposite from a theory perspective. If you're deferring now, you're gonna pay your working tax rate and not pay anything in retirement on taxes, on the growth or the earnings of the Roth dollars. So typically, Roth money is very advantageous for people that are younger, are typically at their lowest income level, and have a long time window for saving and investing for retirement. Um, the one thing I will say that ultimately, there are two things guaranteed in life, death and taxes. So even with pre-tax and Roth, you're paying taxes one way or another, it's just you wanna bite the bullet up front, or down the road, and really, it depends on your situation. The one thing I will say I've seen a lot of people do recently is hedge. So you can do a combo of both in a 401k plan where you can do pre-tax and Roth. So let's say you're not really sure what your, ta let's just say you're not sure what tax tables are gonna look like in the future, which no one does, and nobody has a crystal ball that can predict that far out what it's gonna look like. So to hedge against that, they'll do a portion pre-tax and a portion Roth. So what this gives is tax diversification in retirement. Just kind of talking about that bucket strategy before with your investments, you also have different tax buckets you can pull from too. So if you've got a big expense in retirement, let's say you want to fix the roof or you want to buy a new boat for a lake house or anything like that, and it's a big expense, you want to be paying those tax liabilities, the Roth bucket you could pull from. So it makes it a little more tax advantageous for those big withdrawals. So that's kind of high level, some of the considerations. Ultimately, from a disclosure perspective, I will say it always depends on your situation. Always talk to an accountant or your advisor or financial planner uh, to help you come through with a strategy on that. And it does change year to year. As you get pay raises, as tax tables change, you may always want to adjust it. So, but uh, that's really fundamental basis for pre-tax versus Roth um, for that. Um, so Jen, so do you want to touch base then just for, I know we were talking about one of the other key misconceptions is whenever somebody hears the word Roth, they hear, they hear the word Roth and they automatically associate it with Roth IRA. Because that's right. kind of a buzzword and that's what right. people are familiar with. Do you want to kind of shed the light sure. 
on kind of differences between like a Roth contribution and a Roth IRA or what you typically see with clients when they ask those questions? Sure. It, it, the problem with the misconception of people thinking when you say Roth within a 401k plan that it's a Roth IRA is a lot of times if they're familiar with it at all, people know that within a Roth IRA, there are income limits to being able to contribute to a Roth IRA. And then there, of course, there's a limit on how much you can put in that Roth IRA each year. Within a 401k plan, if there's a Roth deferral source, a Roth element, your income is not taken into account. So no matter how much you make or how highly compensated you are, that isn't taken into account. So you can contribute to the Roth up to the deferral limit of 19,500 each year. So that might be a big advantage if you're a higher income earner. There may be some other limitations, but as far as being able to use the Roth, you're able to use it. Within the, with the Roth IRA, like I said, there's dollar limits you can contribute each year, plus it phases out after a certain income level. So just from a tax strategy, it's nice to have that Roth available in the 401k sometimes if you can't do it outside of the plan. Um, I think that covers it, Nick. Is there anything else you wanted to mention about the about that? Yeah, there are two other quick things I'll mention too with the Roth IRA. So we'll see this occasionally with, let's say, um, it's a couple and one of the uh, individuals is not working. Let's just say they are a stay-at-home parent or they're in grad school or something along those lines spouses can still make contributions to a Roth IRA. So they still have the same contribution limit, and this goes back to the conversation earlier, Libby, of your income is looked at as being combined in that scenario. Yeah. So if your spouse is making enough, or you have extra cash flow, or if your spouse has uh, uh, at least bare minimum, I think it's you got to have, to make that official deferral, it's like a least income of like 15000 for the year, but at least enough to satisfy that they could do a contribution. A spouse could make a contribution into a Roth IRA and be completely fine. So that's another okay. kind of saving strategy we don't typically see. And then the last thing was just for being in tax time now, and taxes are due in God, four months, you can also backdate your Roth contributions or IRA contributions in general to the prior year limit if they are made by April 15th, so by tax time. So okay. it's a nice uh, saving strategy. Just if something came up during the year and you, let's say you get the year-end bonus uh, and you want to put that away, an IRA from a Roth IRA perspective might still make sense. And you don't have to worry about getting it in by December 31st. You've got some leeway to count it toward last year's contribution. Okay. Yeah, and I, and I, know, we're getting, yeah, I know we're getting short on time, so. Yeah. Uh, well, I think I can just say, like, if I, I'll just go through my takeaways, and then mm -hmm. you guys correct me if I missed anything. Mm -hmm. So. Sure. My takeaways are you probably should understand what Roth is and the difference between what Roth means in a 401k versus an IRA. Um, and then when it comes to Roth, if you want to make Roth distributions into an IRA or a 401k, you'll want to talk to a financial planner and you should do that immediately when you start 
a job. So I think the basic takeaway is just understanding Roth. If it's available mm -hmm. to you in your 401k or not, if it makes sense for you, and you should be talking to an advisor to make sure you're doing the right thing. Yeah, don't be, uh, don't be afraid perfect. to reach out to an advisor. Um, yeah. Again, make sure that they are a fiduciary. And if they don't want to talk to you, then it's not the right advisor for you. Yeah, I think that's a perfect summation, Libby. I think that's terrific. Yep. Well, thank these... you guys so much. I always appreciate you guys coming on the podcast. I learn so much whenever we talk about financial planning or anything related to financial wellness. Because um, <laughs> I'm still kind of, you know, getting my stuff together when it comes to that. <laughs> um, it's a lifelong process. There's always something more to learn, I think, and improve. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. All right. Thanks uh, for having uh, us, Libby. Happy yeah. New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah.